Hey, New City, so glad that you are joining us. Uh, we are in the series, All the Fields. Before we jump into the series, I want to say to you, uh, Happy Father's Day. Uh, for those of you who are dads, I want to wish you that Happy Father's Day. I also want to say uh, to you, if you are uh, just catching up with where we are in all things COVID, I want you to visit newcityabq.com org four slash forward slash there it is forward slash uh four-step plan and when you go to that web address what you'll see is uh, a website there that'll that'll list all the different things that are happening in our step two is where we are at in our four-step plan is where step two and you can log online you can see a step two guide for house gatherings you can see a step two guide for community group gatherings. You can also see a registration link there for Thursday night uh, sermon recording. So if you'd like to come and be a part of this sermon recording, you can on a Thursday night, just let us know ahead of time and log online and check that out. Okay, so we are in the series, All the Feels. And I've got a proposition for you as we jump into the teaching today. Uh, and, and I don't know if you'll believe this right off the bat, but here it is. With the right assurance, a truly terrifying experience can produce laughter. I'll say it again and see if you can, you know, jive with me here. With the right assurance, a truly terrifying experience can produce laughter. All right, so are you thinking of categories in which that might be true? How a, a, a under the, with the right assurances, a terrifying experience can bring about joy and laughter? Well, here, here's one. How about a roller coaster? I don't know if you're roller coaster fans, but I'm a big fan of roller coasters. I grew up in Orlando. We often will vacation in Orlando. Not, that, not this year, but we will often vacation in Orlando. And I love to take my kids on roller coasters. Now, they're not as big a fan of roller coasters as I am, but uh, they will, uh, to appease their dad, often ride a roller coaster. And last, a couple years ago, actually, uh, Mike and I rode a roller coaster together. At the end of the roller coaster, I looked over and I was pretty sure he passed out. <laughs> he was just like limp in the seat of the roller coaster. So I nudged him and we stumbled off the ride and I stumbled off the ride. Our legs were still kind of wobbly from the ride. And, and I said, man, that was crazy. And he goes, I know, that was crazy. And I was like, do you want to do it again? He was like, I think I'm, think I'm done. <laughs> but there's like the, that sense in which like, you know, you could end something super terrifying like a roller coaster, but you, if it's at the right kind of park and the right environment with the right insurances, uh, the, that terror kind of leads to laughter. Another uh, instance for me would be like one of those giant swings. I, I, when I was a youth pastor years ago in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, I got on one of the giant swings with two other kids from my youth group. Uh, I offered to pay for it if they would say yes to do it. And we all got on this, this, this swing and we, it was just like this massive drop and we swung really far and we were screaming and yelling and somebody along uh, the ride said, we're gonna die! And then we started laughing hysterically. It is such a weird thing to be like at the moment of we're going to die and how quickly that can move to like this is awesome uh another kind of in, for instance would be uh for you dads out there uh, i don't know how many of you dads are, are dads that you know like to get in the pool and and throw their kid in the air and catch him or or go out in the ocean as as i have done in previous vacations and and thrown my kid in the air and catch them i love that kind of you know, expression of their face when they're going up in the air and they just kind of freak out and you catch them and they just giggle so uh, loud. You see, with the right assurance, a terrifying experience can produce joy. 
And it's so fun to watch a kid being tossed in the air and caught by their dad safely, obviously, tossed in the air, caught by their dad, and watching that joy come to their face. In fact, a child's terror immediately turns to laughter because of the assurance of their loving father. In fact, what happens often, I've had this experience with my kids, when I've tossed them in the air and they've come down and they've laughed, and I'll put them back down on the floor, they come up to me and they say, again, daddy, do it, do it again. We do it again, daddy. And then eventually daddy gets tired and says, I can't do it again. But they just keep coming at you and say, daddy, will you do it again? Well, the, the essence of the psalm is really a petition to the father. And the petition to the father is, father, please do it again. Uh, there are three observations from this poem I want to draw your attention to. The first is that joy is a product of the father's faithfulness. Uh, we, can, we can face the most terrifying things in life and still possess joy in that terror because of the Father's faithfulness. The second point is that joy is the fruit of seeds, uh, the fruit of the seeds of our tears sown in faith. Joy is a fruit of the, of the seeds of our tears sown in faith. And lastly, the world has joy written into its purpose. The world has joy written into its very purpose. And so let's take those one at a time. Uh, the joy, uh, joy is the product of the Father's faithfulness. Uh, look at Psalm 126 here, starting in verses one and two. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our, mouths, our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things among them. And so what we have here in, the, in, in Psalm 126, one and two, is we have mouths full of laughter, tongues shouting out joy because of the Father's faithfulness in his restoring work. Eugene Peterson in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, says this about the Christian faith. I think this is awesome. He says, one of the delightful discoveries along the way of Christian discipleship is how much enjoyment there is how much laughter you hear, and how much sheer fun you find. Now, if that doesn't describe your Christian experience, then you need to become a better disciple because there is, there is so much fun and joy to be found in Christian discipleship. You see, joy is a product of the Father's faithfulness. That's what we saw earlier here in the pages. The Father was faithful in his restoration that filled mouths full of laughter and joy. Joy is also a product in you by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says it this way in Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. So one, of the, one aspect of the Spirit's fruit in our life is joy. Jesus, check this out, Jesus' first miracle extended the joy of a party. Now this is not an accident in the scriptures that the first recorded miracle of Jesus is Jesus turning the water to wine. You find this in John chapter two, verses two and three. Jesus was at a wedding feast because that's what God does. He goes to wedding feasts. And when uh, the, the wedding uh, feast ran out of wine and Jesus' mom came to him, Jesus turned water into wine. He extended the joy of a party. But I do want to say this about joy, and hear me on this. Joy is not a requirement, it's a consequence of the Christian faith. Joy is not something I, I do or I muster up sort of in some kind of fake way to prove my Christianity. 
But joy is a consequence of my having walked near to God. In fact, lasting joy in its nature, lasting joy is a gift. It's a gift that God gives. That's why Paul prays in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. And that's what I hope that God will do for you. May God of hope fill you with joy, all joy and peace in believing. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Our present joy, the the joy that we experience in the moment right now, our present joy, it grows as we acknowledge God's past faithfulness. That's what we're learning here in the text. Listen to it in verse three of Psalm 126. The Lord has done great things for us. Let's look and see what God has done in the past. He's done great things for us. Therefore, we are glad right now in the present. We're glad. What has God done in the past? Well, in the past, God has restored the fortunes of Zion, verse one. God has brought restoration. And so what is this referring to? Well, it's very hard to know. Uh, Some commentators think that the restoration being referred to, the restoring the fortunes of Zion, is when the exiles came home. It it could mean that. There are many times in the Bible where we can point to God's restorative work throughout history. When God broke the chains of slavery, there were songs of joy. So when God redeemed Israel and the slavery uh, in Egypt, that's what, what was the net result of that? Moses sang a song. Look at it, Exodus 15.1. When, when Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. He rescued us from our captors. The Lord is my strength and my song. And he's become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. They sang songs of joy. And when God brought exiles home, from the, from the Babylonian exile, when God brought exiles home, there were songs of joy. Listen to Isaiah 52, 7 following. How beautiful upon them. The mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice together, they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing. You waste, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. And so the comforting God, the redeeming God, what has he brought about? He's brought about joy for those brought home. You see, what the psalm is saying to us, the psalm is saying this, God has done the impossible in the past, and I will be glad in the present because God will do the impossible again. The the psalmist is saying, Do you see what God has done in the past? Believe, he'll do it again. In the message, Eugene Peterson gives us a a kind of a a sense of what the psalm is getting at in using kind of more contemporary language. This is what Eugene Peterson says. He interprets Psalms 126.1 this way. It seemed like a dream too good to be true when God returned Zion's exiles. And then in verse four he says, and now God, do it again. Bring rains to our drought-stricken lives. God, do it again. 
One commentator said this whole psalm could just be titled, God, please do it again. You see, Christian joy, because God, he, he does, he's, he's done miracles in the past and he does miracles in the present and he will do miracles in the future because God's a miracle working God and we know that he will do it again because he's done it in the past. Christian joy can be and is present even in our tears. Listen to verse five of Psalm 126. Those who sow in tears shall reap shouts of joy. Those who sow in tears shall reap shouts of joy. This psalm is in agreement with one of my favorite bands, R.E.M. R.E.M. says, well, everybody hurts sometimes. I like this. I love this song. Everybody cries. And everybody hurts sometimes. Everybody hurts. You're not alone. Uh, Unfortunately, for all of us, tears are a part of the human experience. But because God has done it before, and I believe he will do it again, joy is present even in my tears. Because God has done it before, and I believe he will do it again, joy it can be present even in my tears. Listen to verse four again. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. What is that? Well, the Negev is a desert. Uh, it's, a, it's a desert area just uh, adjacent to Jerusalem. Everybody would have a reference point for what this looks like. It's, it's a desert landscape. In fact, we are at an advantage in reading this particular text because we live in New Mexico, many of us. Uh, some people are watching that are not from New Mexico, but here's a, here's a photo of an arroyo in New Mexico. That's what he wants us to envision, an arroyo. Uh, an arroyo that's dry because it hasn't rained in a long time. The desert is dry, and the desert's crying out for a strong desert rain to fill that arroyo up and to gush the water down. The psalmist is praying something like this. Rush in your restoration like water flowing down the arroyo after a long desert rain. He's he's pleading with God, rush in your restoration right now like water flowing down the arroyo after a long desert rain. If you're a Christian right now and you've been watching the conditions of the world around us, you might just, you might just as, you're, as, you're, as you're driving around the city and as you're looking up at the mountain, as you can see the arroyos carved out of the mountain, you might just be reminded that God does that. He brings a flood of his grace and his mercy to our lives and he can restore the most broken things. Let the smell of every desert rain make you smile as it reminds you of the sweetness of God's faithfulness. He brings restoration. My present gladness, this psalm is teaching us, my present gladness is a product of God's past faithfulness and my hope in his future faithfulness. We see it in verse three, the Lord has done great things and we are glad. He has done in the past great things and we are glad in the present and therefore we pray in the future, verse four, that God will restore our fortunes again. That he'll do it again. I'm reminded in Hebrews 13, eight, the Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forevermore and if God has done it again, if he's done it in the past, he'll do it again. So much of our Christian hope is based upon the resurrection of Jesus. Like he raised from the dead, he conquered sin and death. We know he is going to ultimately do that in our lives. He's going to to right the wrongs in the world. 
Because we have faith in what Christ is going to do, Christian joy is present even in the pain. And there's so much pain in our world right now, but Christian joy can be present even in the pain. In 1 Thessalonians 1.6, Paul says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You received the word with much pain, but when you received the word with all that pain, it came with joy supplied by the Holy Spirit. Even in the pain, there's joy. Right now, we are feeling more pain culturally than we have the power to handle. We are. We are experiencing more pain right now than we have the capacity to handle. The, I was gonna say the interwebs. I hope you'll forgive me for calling it the interwebs. But the interwebs have not, um, have not helped us a whole lot. Particularly when there's a lot of drama in the world. There's a lot of hurt in the world. I don't mean drama to downplay the hurt in the world. I'm just saying there's a lot of emotion, a lot of feels, valid feels, valid things that are stirring up within all of us emotion. There was a blogger this last week that wrote this in a blog, and it, man, it, it really stuck with me. He said, social media has this weird way of granting me semi-godlike omniscience. That's kind of the ability to know everything. Without godlike uh, omnipotence, that's like the all-powerful nature of God. In other words, it makes me aware of much more without enabling me, <laughs> without enabling me to do anything with my knowledge. He says, social media gives me omniscience without omnipotence. There's this sense in which we are more aware now of the pain and the hurt in the world than we ever have been before, but we aren't any more powerful in uh, doing anything about it. It's, 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 it's overwhelming. To be honest, like the, 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 the COVID-19 sort of stay-at-home reality uh, combined with the racial tensions of our world that we're living through right now, is, is doing quite a, quite a number on our emotional health. And we're, I, 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 I'm not hoping for this, but I mean, this next slide isn't my aspiration. I just feel like this is prophetically what the reality is, that we are not prepared for the mental health challenges that the whole world is about to face. Like, we're not prepared for it. I read an article this week uh, in... Um, uh, the, the, the title of the article was Americans are, uh, are the unhappiest they've been in 50 years. And when you dig into the meat of the study that's being referenced here, the study said just 14% of American adults say they're very happy, down from 31% who said the same in 2018. No less than 29% of Americans have ever called themselves very happy. In other words, like we are, what we're seeing in the trends, statistically, is people are unhappier than they've ever been in at least our, the, the history of data collecting of this kind of thing. Uh, another article, in fact, one of our staff members sent it to me, Easton, uh, reads this way. If you feel like you're regressing, you're not alone. The article looks at three predictable responses to, to a crisis. Uh, one of the predictable responses to a crisis is that emergency mode. 
uh, I don't know if you felt this, but if you are, were in an organization uh, that was immediately hit with, we gotta pivot, we gotta do something, uh, you went into emergency mode, and there was energy there that you didn't know that you had. And some people discovered we had that stuff in the tank that didn't know was there. Uh, but eventually, you know, those reserves run out, and you go to the next phase, which is regression, uh, and we aren't quite yet to the next phase, which is recovery. Uh, in fact, most of, most of American society is in the reg- regression phase right now. The article reads this way. In the beginning, when the emergency b- becomes clear, team energy rises and the performance goes up. Then the second phase hits, a, a regression phase where people get tired. They lose their sense of purpose, start fighting about the small stuff and forget to do basic things because they're just worn out. And when you get worn out because of COVID and all the other stuff going on, and then you, you pile onto that a, 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 real, a real and true racial crisis in our country, you get a recipe for a whole lot of emotional challenges. Emotional challenges I don't know that we're all yet prepared to meet. And I can tell you one flawed strategy for obtaining joy is the attempt to eliminate pain through avoidance. It's a guaranteed flawed strategy. Listen, you cannot selectively numb feelings. Uh, this is the strategy that a lot of people will employ. I'm so stressed out, I just don't want to do it anymore. Uh, they'll post on social media, what do we have to be outreached about today? I'm just going to not, I'm just going to be, I'm going to turn it all off and I'm going to turn a blind eye to it. I'm just not going to be frustrated anymore. The problem is our emotional life is interconnected. And you cannot numb unwanted feelings without also numbing the feelings you desire. You can't say, I want the sadness to go away and the hurt to go away and the outrage to go away and and just numb those feelings selectively because when you start numbing those feelings, you start numbing all feelings. And what's interesting about this text is this text is teaching us our tears and our joy must coexist. Like they, they coexist. There's an honesty about the human experience in this psalm. Those who so... In tears shall reap with shouts of joy. There is a coexistence between our tears and our joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. That weeping and, and sowing are, 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 are part of this, this sort of experience of sowing our tears, a part of the experience of human life. Another way of saying it, Psalms 126 is not calling us to overcome our tears with joy, but to experience joy as a product of our tears. That's the teaching in the psalm. That's our second point in our outline today. Joy is a product of the Father's faithfulness. We can find joy because we know that even in terrifying moments that God is still faithful. He's, re- he's done it before. He will do it again. And joy is a fruit of the seeds of our tears sown in faith. Verse five again, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Which I think, you know, begs a pretty big question about life. Why do tears exist? Why, why are there tears at all? Look, our sadness is recognizing that something is not right in the world. All of our tears are acknowledging something is not right in our world. Your sadness assumes then that there is a rightness to the world. 
So every time you are weeping, what you're doing is you're confessing that this is not right, the thing I'm experiencing, but you're also confessing there is something that is right, an ideal. In fact, the entire story of the Bible is a story of a God putting the world back to rights, fixing the wrongs and making them right again. N.T. Wright says in Simply Christian, Christian faith endures the passion for justice which every human being knows, the longing to see things put to rights. And it claims that in Jesus, God himself has shared this passion and put it, <laughs> put it into effect so that in the end, all tears may be dried and the world may be filled with justice and joy. In other words, like when I am crying tears and saying this is not right, Jesus knows. Yes, he agrees. It's not right. There are things simply that are not right. And he's come to set the world to rights again. That's bringing his justice to bear. And Christians are justice workers. Let me just say this, by the way. I didn't plan to say this in my message, but just whatever. Uh, I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, You... To be a Christian, accept the gospel, accept that these two realities, that God has called us to love him and to love our neighbor, which means the gospel is always going to be spiritual, loving God, and always going to be social and loving my neighbor. And if you don't have a robust ethic, a, a social ethic as a part of your gospel presentation, you're missing out on a fundamental piece of the gospel, which is God setting the world to rights, his justice and his joy. There's never been a tear shed over an injustice that Jesus is not the complete answer for. There's never been a tear shed over an injustice in this world, in America, that Jesus is not the complete answer for. The psalmist prays in verse four, restore our fortunes. Bring your restoration. In Revelation 21.5, Jesus on the throne says, behold, I'm making all things new. I, I'm bringing the restoration. In the restoration of all things, and I love this about the gospel presentation, in the restoration of all things, every tongue, tribe, and nation sing. As one new humanity, but not distinct from one another. It's not like in the resurrection, God gives us all the same skin color and the same background and the same story. Somehow, God weaves together our story and our ethnicity into the resurrection of all things, into his restoration. Another way of looking at what Jesus is at work doing is the joy of our renewal flows down from the tears of the cross. The joy of our renewal flows down from the tears of the cross. Because at the cross we see two things. We see both the seriousness of sin and the seriousness of grace. Often what happens when there's injustice in the world like like people are experiencing now and, and drawing attention to is that we can sometimes get angry at God and go, why don't you care? Or I care so much about this, and I don't see, does the church care as much about this, or do pastors care as much about this, do you care as much about this? You know, and we get, we get so, so up, up, you know, emotional about what's going on, and sometimes rightly so. And we wonder, does God take it serious? And the cross of Jesus proves that he takes it serious. His, 
He lived a perfect life, but he died on the, on the cross as a substitute for sinners, enduring pain. <laughs> my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, experiencing the de- a depth of emotional pain that we can't even fathom. Why? Because God takes sin seriously. And Jesus was paying the penalty for sin. But God also takes grace seriously. He takes, he, lo- he takes his love for you seriously. And he put it on display by offering his life in exchange for yours. See, the cross is a place where my tears over sin are met with joy over grace. And when I cry because of my own sin or I cry because of the sins of others, the cross is where my tears meet the grace of God and his restorative power. And I recognize because Jesus paid the penalty for sin and he was buried in the grave and he rose again, he conquered sin and death, that he's brought his resurrection to bear and that he is at work right now restoring things. And every tear shed in faith is a seed of hope, believing in Jesus' restoration for the Christian. Every tear shed in faith is a seed of hope, believing in Jesus' restoration. Because if you're crying, you're admitting something's not right with the world. And if you're admitting something's not right with the world, what you're recognizing also is that Jesus has come to make things right, if you're a Christian. And, and it, that hope, and his, restora- his restoration, it brings joy even in the sadness. So joy is a product of the Father's faithfulness. He's done it before, he'll do it again. Joy is a fruit of the seeds of our tears sown in faith. All of my tears are believing that things are not right, but Christ is making things right again. And the world has joy written into its purpose. Now this is assumed in the psalm, but I think it's interesting to observe. God's joy is written into the DNA of everything. When God made the world, Genesis 131, he looked at the world, he saw it, and he said, it's good. He created the world and says, yep, this is good. And in Psalm 104, verse 31, we read, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. So when God made the world, and he looked at the world, saw it was good, he rejoiced. He rejoiced in his work. He experienced joy over what he made. In fact, what he made, he made with joy. It was a joy for God to make the world. Have you ever noticed that the world is more beautiful than it needs to be? Like, this is, this is one of those interesting arguments for the existence of God for me, personally. Because, like, we, we, my observing a sunrise of the Sandias and admiring the beauty of it, or watching the Sandias turn peak in, in the evening, and my admiring of the beauty of that, has nothing whatsoever to do with my survival. It seems as though the world was created in such a way not just to sustain my life forever, but the world was created for joy. A part of the purpose of the world is joy. Food tastes more delicious than it needs to taste. Like food, is, food isn't just about sustaining your life, it's about bringing you joy. And God did not create the world to merely sustain life forever. He created the world for enjoyment. This is really interesting. God 
created the world and its pleasures for you and me to enjoy because God values joy and it was a joy for him to create it. In fact, when in John 10.10, 10, when Jesus says the thief comes in only to steal and to kill and destroy, I can that you may have life and life abundantly, he's not talking about the quantity of life, he's talking about the quality of life. I've come that you might have an abundant life, a, a high qualitative life, a life full of joy. God created joy, not so that we would chase after joy, though. God created joy so that we would chase after the joy giver. In James 1.17, we recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of heavenly lights. He gives every good and perfect gift. Joy is an experience. It's an experience that God created Joy is an experience that God created to share with us. I don't know if you've ever, you know, this may be new for you as a Christian disciple. That is, as you are experiencing a common everyday joy of life, a great meal, a beautiful sunset, a flower coming to bloom, that God created that joy to enjoy with you. In fact, it was a joy for God to create that thing. In fact, God in his restoration is restoring laughter and joy. It's a part of it. Listen to Isaiah 65, 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be, be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it of the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. In other words, when God restores everything, part of a major part, a significant part of the restoration of everything is joy that he shares with us as we enjoy the things he created. We we said earlier, with the right assurance, a truly, a truly sad experience with the right assurance. What I mean by the right assurance, like with the belief that God is in control, that he's redeeming and restoring the world, that he is making things right, he's done it before, he'll do it again, that joy is hardwired into the existence, that God is working towards the end, which is going to be a part of, part of that solution that God's bringing is our enjoying the things he's made for us to enjoy with him because he enjoys us and he enjoys giving us things because he's the father of heavenly lights who enjoys giving us every good and perfect gift. Like That's a part of what we're looking for is relationship with God. With the right assurance, a truly sad experience can produce laughter and joy. And we can cry out as Psalm 126.4 says, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. In other words, dad, do it again. That's the essence of this prayer. And in some ways, like that moment of a father tossing his child in the air, and that moment of like, oh, it's gonna happen, you know, in that child's face, and then they're getting caught, and they're held by their father, and that child goes, do it again, Dad. That's, it. that's like a, that's a microcosm of the psalm. It's, it certainly is, I'm not trying to, 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 to take lightly the true depths of despair and sadness in the world, but in comparison to his restorative power, Even in the sad moments, a Christian can have joy. 
Because as I'm sowing those tears, I'm sowing seeds of hope. And every tear is saying, I know this is not right. I know this is not right. I know this is not right. And then Jesus is whispering through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm making things right. And when we start to believe that he is making things right again, that brings joy. It brings joy. And often gives us enough joy to produce moments of levity and laughter. We conclude our services each week with prayer, communion, and giving. And um, after we pray together today, we're going to show a video, and the video will just be a recap of what's new for New City and Be Good News. It's a really exciting recap, and so I want you to, to check it out. Uh, but the prayer time is really important to me this week, specifically. I think it's an opportunity for us to sort of say together some words uh, that are true of our moment right now in American society. And can address what's really kind of going on in our, in our friends and family. If you're at home and you're taking communion, take communion at your home, you know, on your own. Break the bread. Remember Christ's body broken for you. Take the cup. Remember his blood shed for you. What you might remember is that, yeah, he was broken to end all the things that are broken in this world. What you might remember is that in his resurrection, he's making things right again. And even in the sadness, um, there's joy. So we encourage you to give. Encourage you to celebrate communion. Let's pray together as a church. Here's a prayer. We can all pray together. So pray with me if you'd like to pray along. Lord, I am praying for my church, my country, and all who are shedding tears right now, that they will be spiritually empowered and renewed. Help me to rest in your faithfulness, knowing that my tears in prayer are like seeds that will produce joy in the lives of those you and I care for. Amen.